Welcome to Inside Seaweed, the podcast looking deep into the seaweed industry through the stories of pioneers, entrepreneurs, and innovators. I'm Fede Gobbi, and my guest today is Matthias Boeing, strategic advisor at Arctic Seaweed, where he's helping the company to build a strategy for scaling up. Matthias has a business background and experience in management consulting, whilst Arctic Seaweed has a very strong focus on technology to disrupt seaweed cultivation. And I think it's this combination that you will find especially useful and inspiring. We sat down to have a conversation on the sidelines of City Culture Conference EU in Norway, and this is what came out. Please enjoy. How are you doing, Matthias? Ah, excellent. It's uh, not as warm anymore in Trondheim as yesterday, so that's uh, exactly what I need. <laughs> and uh, thank you very much for giving up your coffee break. Already had enough coffee for today, so... <laughs> <laughs> there is a lot. Yes. <laughs> what a day we had yesterday. A very, very full, long day. What has been the highlight for you? I think the highlight of the industry is uh, a lot about the urgency to understand that we need biomass in the industry, um, that we might have uh, focused too much on the application side of things in the industry and not uh, on how we get the biomass volumes up that should supply all of those uh, applications. So I think um, raising that urgency to investors, to the industry, to the buyer side uh, was a highlight. And I think that was one theme that went through all the invest uh, presentations yesterday. It, it seems to be like a chicken and egg type situation. Yeah. And there seems to be a pendulum sometimes. Sometimes we focus too much on the on the supply and then forget about the product and then focus too much on the product and then forget about the supply. But really they need to come up together, don't they? I think it's absolutely a chicken-egg problem, which is very usual for an industry like this, which is very new in that sense. So I'm not surprised that we have a chicken-egg problem, but uh, other industries have proven that that can be solved. We might need some different approaches to this, but uh, I'm pretty confident that we will solve that uh, with the right partnerships in the industry. There's an element of time as well that has come up a lot this uh, last couple Mm. couple of days Mm. and the speed at which all of this needs to happen. That's quite interesting. Yeah, that, that's actually a super interesting topic because I come from the software world. Uh, I have another job in the software industry. And there you obviously run in these very quick uh, iteration cycles, right? So, you know, you can just add the button in your application and you can test it within two seconds. Um, the seaweed industry is completely different. You know, Not really. <laughs> no, when we test something or we build something new and we put it into the water in uh, um, during seeding in October we only see the results of what we've changed in April next year. And that is giving us unique challenges on our own, but it's also very difficult to understand from investor sides because, because investors are like, you know, they like to see quick results. So the, the type of investors we're looking for are completely different in that sense. And they need to accept that we have longer sales cycles. We work with nature and, you know, and working with nature is not like an application. You know, we need to have these growing cycles and we can only test it once a year. So, yeah. It's interesting you've got this sort of double view on, on these sort of very different industries. Is there anything that the seaweed industry can learn from the software industry, do you think? Well, there's always something to learn uh, on both sides. I think also the software world can learn something from heavy acid, uh, actual building products that you, you know, produce something. But if you look the other way, I, I think this the mindset of iteration 
that we have in the software world is something we also need to have in in the seaweed world. And yesterday I had a chat with somebody that, you know, maybe to get out of this yearly cycle of testing, because we are still in R&D phase, is that we might need a testing facility that the industry can use to do tests during the year instead of only once, right? So, um, but this would have been a collaborative approach because no seaweed company would be able to, to have a testing facility like that. But then we could go into this iteration that is much faster, like in the software world. Very and I think that that is needed uh, at this stage in the industry. It makes sense, particularly if we look at trying to get into a product market fit situation, trying to understand the customer, understand what, what the demand is, what the customer wants. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and trying to do as many iterations to get there, really. Yeah, that, that is the other perspective. So seaweed is not only you know, like how do we cultivate and you know, uh, how fast do we get the yields up and, and stuff like that, but uh, you know, what does the customer actually want? Like, uh, we, we work a lot with Okla, uh, one of our investors, uh, and they have specific requirements to us because we produce food grade, which is the highest quality of, of food, uh, of seaweed. We need to comply with those to be ready for the customer. So it's not only figuring out how do we grow that stuff, but also how we process this afterwards so that the client can actually take it. And that is another iteration in itself. But that is a bit easier, I feel, than um, on the technology side, because you have a bit more freedom to test on the processing side. We'll come back to the technology very shortly. But I, I like to start with the, uh, the topic of partnership, which seems so relevant in the context of a big networking event such as uh, secret culture. In your mind, what, what are the, the blueprints of a successful approach to building partnerships in the seaweed industry? That's a, a great question. I think that was also mentioned yesterday quite a lot. I think generally we need to acknowledge first the fact that uh, partnerships and collaboration is now the stage that the industry is in. Right, the seaweed industry, many companies in, that we see today have been around for a while. Arctic Seaweed has been founded in 2018, so that's quite a long while. Right, The industry is not new in that sense, but due to the long cycles of development, we are still early stage startups. But now the industry comes into this kind of phase where everybody kind of realized that by themselves, you know, and also controlling the whole value chain will be very difficult. Some will make it. For sure, there will always be some in an industry that, that are managing to kind of own the full value chain. But most of the companies in the value chain will try to specialize at some point because all of them have something that they are specially good at, right? So, so Arctic Seaweed comes from the tech side. We started as an engineering company and we, we hired engineers. We thought biology would be easy. We failed, we realized biology is not easy. <laughs> so we hired a bunch of biologists and added them to the tech, you know, to the tech guys. So now we are kind of 50-50 mix between engineers and uh, biologists. But I think for an industry to get to the point of collaboration, this phase where everybody tries it on their own and fails or sees challenges is important because collaboration from the beginning might be a problem. Mm -hmm. So it's a complete normal step and process that we see now that you know we went from everybody does themselves and now we come to the point everybody went through the hard phase and now... We, you know, this is the groundwork of starting collaboration. And I think that is very important for each of the CEOs to realize, right? So on our last harvest, we invited every of our competitor to our harvesting boat because we realized that maybe we need to kind of start finding ways to collaborate. And then to your second question, our second part of the question, you know, what is a model? Of course, you can uh, integrate completely, which means you actually buy or build companies together with your competitors, right? Uh, this is often driven by investors mm -hmm. that you know buy different puzzles in the industry. 
I don't think that we are there yet. I think that will happen at some point. But we are thinking now on that step more of a co-op kind of way, right? right? Uh, where we mimic the concept of co-ops that has been used in agriculture for, for, I'm not sure if it's centuries, but for a long time. Because that helps us to kind of start the first processes of collaboration that might end into a more consolidation of the industry. And a co-op is then, in the end, basically more a partnership or an agreement to have one voice, for example, to the buyer side, right? If you speak to the buyer side with a bigger voice, because you are having, you're putting your volumes together as one co-op, you, you have a better negotiation power, which is good for the industry, but you also have more stable supply for the buyer side, right? Because if the buyer has to go to 15 companies and asking for volume and 14 say, no, I don't have anything, that's a long time. But if they have to go to one co-op and maybe we can't deliver, but then Ocean Rainforest can deliver or SAS can deliver, it helps that the buyer side grows a belief that there will be volume. And that is a core thing that the industry needs now. The buyer side needs to believe, the Nestlers, the Unilevers, the ore class of the world need to believe that there is biomass coming. Sounds like it's a matter of mitigating risk for yes. the buyer. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think this approach in terms of partnership and, and cooperation is across the board or is there a particular area where it's more needed? Yeah, I think when you look at the value chain of seaweed, you know, which goes from, from seeding to cultivation technology, uh, to processing, to logistics, and then to applications, I think the application side is fine. I think there, there we don't need collaboration in that sense. Okay. When you say application, sorry to jump in. Yeah. When you say application, you mean the actual, you know, value-added products? Yes. So the Oceaniums that produces uh, or takes out the value stuff from the seaweed or the Kelpie that uses that for plastic uh, substitutes, stuff like that, you know, or the better fish that uh, is building or is making tuna out of seaweed, uh, tuna replacement. These guys, I think they are fine on that end because they also have the capital, you know, the capital focus was there. And it's also more natural that these customer products are not really meant to collaborate. And if you look at the, the volumes of investment in the industry, in the value chain, 80% of the investment some went into that application site, and only 6% of the investments between 2020 and 22 went into that first four steps, which is hard work. It's uh, not saying that the applications are not hard work, but growing stuff, having heavy assets in the water, doing the R&D, it's normally not very attractive for a lot of investors. So the part that the investors can't take maybe have to be taken by the companies that collaborate and build co-ops, etc. So it's the first part of the value chain that needs to unite uh, behind that in a way. Why do you think there is disproportion in terms of investment volume to you know more toward the product rather than the four steps of the the initial steps of the supply chain? Yeah, I mean, you probably have to ask the investors that are here today, but um, I mean, I know some of them and I think the first thing is I think applications are in itself a bit more less capital intensive, uh, depending on the applications, right? They are on a spectrum, but they normally don't have heavy assets in the ocean, which is incredibly capex intensive, right? And also R&D side is a much bigger capex when you have harvesting machines, if you, when you have seeding machines, if you have, you know, you, you, you charter boats uh, that you need uh, for harvesting and seeding. So the return on investment on the first four parts of the value chain is longer and much more risky because we work with nature, right? We know that the harvest might be shit because, uh, sorry my, my English, but the, it might be <laughs> shit because 
uh, you know, the, the temperatures in the water were bad this year, you know, yeah. or um, we seeded too early. You know, it's, it's sometimes it's about a week too early seeded and you have a very bad yield. That's an unpredictability uh, that is inherent yes. to working with nature, I guess. And I think that is a problem for investors to understand. It's a very hard sell to investors because there's so much risk about uh, IP, nature, asset-based, you know, and that's normally not a very attractive business case. I want to focus a little bit more on what is your approach to partnership in terms of the work you're doing with Arctic Seaweed. So if you want to maybe outline a little bit what is the work you're doing in that area and maybe zoom in into, for example, what sort of companies you're, you're looking to partner with or are already partnering with and, and what is the purpose of the collaboration? Yeah, maybe I start a bit uh, one step before. So Arctic Seaweed, we are present in the first four stages of the value chains. From, you want to just go through yeah, them? From seeding, developing our own seedlings, from cultivation technology, processing, and then logistics uh, half, right? Uh, we Our system is based that we basically can deliver the finished product directly to the customer, and then the customer also takes over logistics uh, okay. in some sense. But when I started to work with Kim, the CEO, one and a half years ago, the first thing we did on a weekend in Fleckenfjord, it was awfully cold and dark, we thought about you know what what we want to achieve in the company, so the why, right? Uh, some people would say it's a vision, and then we said, okay, our vision is to enable a global sustainable seaweed industry, and sustainable in two sense: sustainable from a natural perspective, but also in a prolonging perspective. So we want the industry to survive, and then we started thinking, okay, what? How can we do that? And if you look at economics, an industry almost always needs economies of scale, right? Otherwise, we will not be competitive, right? And there's an Asian market, which is very cheap uh, in terms of seaweed. So if we want to mimic that success of seaweed in Europe, we have to be much better on economies of scale. And then we said, okay, economies of scale normally come through volume, right? When volumes rise, the economies of scale improve. So then we said, if our vision is to enable an industry, our mission has to be to grow volume, to maximize the volume that we get into this industry. And then we said, okay, there, how do we, what kind of strategies can we have to achieve that mission and vision? And then we looked at ourselves and at that stage we were having our own farms, right? We, we come from our tech, which we think is our core competitive advantage. It's different than the rest in the industry. And we use that on our own farms. So the strategy number one to grow volume is to grow it on our own farms. So we enable ourselves to grow biomass and then sell the biomass to the market to contribute to the volume in the industry. Would you say yeah. this is kind of like a traditional setup? Yes, that is a very traditional um, seaweed company that is you can find in many places. The only difference is that we believe that we have tech that is meant to scale because it is dimensioned to scale. But then we realized there were many questions about can we buy your tech? And um, you know, I come from the software world, and there's a word software as a service, right? SaaS. And then I, I joked to Kim, it's like, why the hell are we not doing seaweed as a service? It's, it's the same word, you know, <laughs> SAS. Because we don't really want to sell the tech because that's our IP. And we don't want to compete with our own tech in the market. So we designed this product, which is called seaweed as a service, which is the second strategy that we deploy. And that is we enable other companies, partners in the industry to get access to our technology, to our know-how that get access to the market because we take some volume from them and get access through our business cases that we give them to capital to finance this, right? So we developed the SaaS concept where we then take volume back from them 
they keep some of the volume for themselves if they want to, or they give us a certain amount of volume back that we then sell to the market on our own. So they, in this particular scenario, would be seaweed farmers? Yeah. Okay. Good question, because we, we target three different types of companies with this. The first company that we target with this concept is seaweed companies that realize that our tech or the tech that they use, the traditional type of long line system, is not scaling and they have no path to profitability. That's our first target. Okay. So um, cultivators. Cultivators. Yeah. And we talk to a lot of them. The second type of group is aquaculture companies that want to vertically integrate because they think seaweed might be something they can use to diversify their product portfolio. So this could be, if I get this right, could be a salmon farm exactly. type company? Yes. So we actually have one of our customers in the SAS program is Royal Greenland uh, in Greenland. So we have one of our farms installed in Greenland. Kim was just there diving at uh, snowy conditions in the summer, which is crazy. So they use our farm because they wanted to diversify into seaweed and they want to use the seaweed in their products. So they want to make a seaweed salad in their product portfolio, but they obviously have no clue about seaweed, uh, how to grow it, all the expertise you need to work with seaweed. And so they came to us and said, okay, you know, we, this is perfect for us. We, we get the seaweed, we have some proven technology, we get some help to set it up, we train them, we can keep some of the seaweed and you guys take some of the seaweed from us so we have a guaranteed offtake at guaranteed prices. Okay, so just to clarify, in this scenario, you have a company that's, for example, it's already in aquaculture, say a salmon uh, farm, a producer, and they would include and so become seaweed farmers as well, yep. with your help, with the training, and you would supply the technology and the, all the kit. Yep. They would produce a certain amount of seaweed, keep some, and give some to you. Exactly, and some of the tech they will have to purchase. Uh, this is normally the, the stuff that is not IP protected, so buoys. Hardware. Hardware. Yeah, but uh, there's a difference between hardware and hardware for us because there's hardware that is fixed to the ocean. Uh -huh. So the, the outside frame of the farm, they purchase. There is no IP on that. Everybody can do that. Okay. But what they are not allowed to buy or what we lease out or rent out is the stuff that goes into the farm that the seaweed grows on as well as the seeding and harvesting machine and the processing line, because that is the part where we think this is our core competitive advantage, so that you can't buy, you can only get access to it by paying a royalty fee. So what we've created is basically we copied that software logic of having a say, annual recurring revenue into the seaweed business, which is perfect because the seaweed business is very seasonal. So many companies struggle that they only have revenue coming in one time of the year when they sell their volume in the summer. So yeah. what happens in the other years? So now we have created a revenue model where we actually diversify our revenue streams quite a lot. You know, we sell our own volume, we sell foreign volume, we get a tax sale from selling some of the boys, we get a royalty fee, which can come in monthly or quarterly. So we are balancing the risk of having only one time of revenue once a year. And that is for us quite quite handy and also a benefit for the, for the clients in the SaaS program. And then... Third point. Then the third point, and that is the longest shot, actually. And we thought that would take much longer to develop, but um, it came faster than we thought. The third customer group that we target here is a group that is actually never had anything to do with seaweed or aquaculture, but they have identified seaweed as a method to, or as some kind of vehicle to either become more sustainable, 
or for some other reason. And I give you an example. Right? Today, we just Kim just announced on stage a major uh, letter of intent that we signed with Simply Blue Group. Simply Blue Group falls into this third category because what they are, they are an offshore wind development company. So what they do is they basically raise the money, the capital, they get the partners on board like Shell, like Total, like uh, Equinor that run the farm and build the farm. But they are the ones also that add other parts, you know, into the licensing agreements with the governments. And what they came up to us with is they said, okay, the offshore wind industry is booming. It will boom. And it's a significant part of the new future in making energy. But the governments now say, we want you to show us what you use the space in between the sea, uh, the wind farms for. So it becomes a license to operate or an access to license requirement to show that you use that space sustainably. So is that a legal requirement or more of a... It's not a legal requirement, but it's a business requirement. So the ones that can show that you have an integrated system with other low trophic species, uh, mussels, seaweed, solar, you know, stuff like that, they will be more likely to be chosen to get the license. So that's how they approached us. And they said, you know, we, we have these pilot farm uh, or we want the pilot farm 200 hectares in an island, which we start in two years. And then in 2030, when the wind farm is operating in Ireland, they want 6,000 hectares of seaweed farm in between the wind farms. Wow. And it sounds far away, 2030, but it's only seven seasons, which is, you know, seven times a circle of harvesting and seeding. So it is a huge challenge. But we at Arctic Seaweed, we, we think that the volumes that we need in the industry, and again, remember our mission is to maximize volume. And of course, we this is a way into maximizing volumes, right? Uh, so we strongly believe that offshore wind is um, one of the biggest drivers into these kind of 9 million tons per year that the EU wants, right? So, but the, these are the three, you know, regular seaweed companies that don't know how to get profitable, diversifying or uh, vertically integrated uh, aquaculture companies, and then far away companies that realize seaweed is a good thing. You could think about a Lufthansa uh, that need offsets for carbon, but they don't want to have a seaweed farm. They have cash, but they don't want to run a seaweed farm. And I certainly don't want the seaweed. So that is what the third group is for. So they have a problem and you can you can sort of jump in and, yep. and solve it for them. Got a couple of follow-up questions on the on the second group. So the people that want to integrate seaweed in their portfolio. Could that be a big food company, say a Nestle of the world of, or um, something along those lines, where they have huge supply chains to produce food products? and they want to potentially integrate seaweed. Could that be a target customer for you? Absolutely. The question is a bit, is it uh, two or three? We define the second category as aquaculture companies. Right. So Um, this could be more on the third. The third one. But I see your point that it could be also in the second group, right? Because it's still food, right? We talk about food. We produce food-grade seaweed. But I, I think the modus operandi there would probably more be that, because what their aim probably is to secure Supply. Supply, right? And that was uh, one of the main reasons what Orkla, why Orkla went into investing into Arctic seaweed. It is about securing supply, right? Because we believe if there is a run for the supply, Orkla needs to have a stable supply to plan on their side, you know, uh, how do you get that in the product, etc. But they chose to invest rather than actually run farms or, you know, get somebody. Because with our model, it's important to remember, we are not running the farms, so we always need somebody on the other side, on the partnership side, that is willing to run and operate the farm. 
So for, with the offshore wind project in Ireland, they will find a local company that will take over the operations of the seaweed farm. So because Arctic seaweed, we can't operate farms in Greenland and Ireland and Norway at the same time, right? Because of the seasons are colliding. So we build it the way that we are only training them, but they need to have a partner on the side. So if Orkla now wanted a seaweed farm to own, they would still need somebody to run it for them. Because I'm pretty sure Orkla doesn't want to have a, a seaweed farm in their, in their company. No, that makes sense. Look, there's a number of places we can go from here. I wonder the most logical place is technology, really. We, we mentioned technology a few times. It's come up this morning as well during Kim's talk. And if scaling up, we're starting from that known element, scaling up, maximizing the volume, absolutely necessary. And it will most likely require a radical gear switch on a number of levels. Yeah. The big question could be, how do we disrupt that environment. And I think Kim on the stage, uh, CEO of Arctic Seaweed, said, how do we change the game? Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think um, ultimately it is about uh, the difference between innovation and disruption, I think. Because what the industry we believe is doing right now, which is very good and necessary for an industry to do, is innovation. And if you look at the definition of innovation, it is you consequently make something better, right? You tweak it and you make it better. So you use something that has been proven and you make it better in steps. Incremental. Incremental, right? So what that means in translation to the seaweed industry is that we would use twine seeding. It's the seeding methodology where you grow uh, little plants in a hatchery for a longer period of time with a lot of input factors, water, electricity, space, and you use a lot of space, right? And you make that better to selective breeding, etc., etc. That's innovation. It's important it gives you predictable yields because it is a proven technology and it's, you know, it has been used for, for uh, probably centuries. But what Arctic Seaweed tries to do, and it's obviously hard to get there, is disruption, where you make something obsolete or you, you build something that makes the old thing obsolete. So that yeah. you, we build something that others try to improve with innovation steps. And we basically say, okay, we don't need that anymore. If we figure out how we do direct seeding the right way and we get the predictability up and the yields up to the same levels as twine, we believe that direct seeding is a much easier way to scale to 6,000 hectare farms. Because if you compare it, direct seeding means basically we have our seeding machine on board of the vessel. We have a bottle of uh, liquid that contains millions of spores and we directly seed the lines on board of the vessel and then it goes into the ocean. So we don't need a long period in the hatchery that requires a lot of space. This twine seeding is basically, it's a lot of spools that you have to have for 6,000 hectares. And they take enormous amount of space. They need more water for a month to grow in. They need more electricity to grow in because it's a hatchery. So we believe that changing the game with the disruption is a lot about methodology of seeding. Because we believe that with, without direct seeding, the industry will not get to these volumes. I was going to ask you, why is that important? Is, yeah. it, is it because it allows you that step change toward volume? Is that yeah, as because simple as that? It's, I mean, seaweed farming is very complex. And, you know, you need to control a lot of variables in the, in the value chain. And one of the biggest ones is how you seed, right? And if we talk about an offshore wind location, 6,000 hectares, and it's enormous. I mean, that's, this is... We can't even, I mean, we even at Arctic Sea, <laughs> we don't really know how to do that. But we have seven years now to figure that out. But um, you need something where you can seed incredibly fast 
through a automized mechanized system and not through something where you have to a lot of manual labor like in twine right uh, which is normally on small boats and etc they can they will probably adapt that too there will be some kind of mechanization in the twine seating but then the problem is all the input factors that are costly you know electricity water space you know you need a huge amount of hatchery for 6000 hectares of twine seats for us it's a bottle right yeah. Um, or a container of a couple of uh, thousands of liters. That's easier than a lot of spools of those sizes. More in general, you know, if, if you could give advice to, say, a aspiring entrepreneur wanting to get into the industry and, you know, and use that approach. Because obviously, I'm sure Arctic Seaweed will bring out a lot of innovation and disruption. But you know, we're talking about collaboration. We're talking about new players coming in and hopefully disrupt in some ways and in some areas of the supply chain potentially. What would be your advice in terms of how to enter the industry and how to apply this approach? Yeah, I mean, first of all, we encourage anybody to enter whatever method they use. And uh, we obviously now we believe and we have to believe that's our, you know, that's our vision and, and our core competitive advantage that what we do is the way forward. But there could be something else, right? It's, it's, there's a lot of good things we saw today and yesterday. Yeah. But I think the industry is at this stage if we can't show profitability and rising volumes soon, this industry is at the, the stage where, you know, you're in this death valley, right? We see the first companies uh, going bankrupt that have followed a path that was difficult to show a path to profitability and that will not survive in this industry right now. And if it, now a company comes in that has a similar approach, so low scale, we believe that they, there is not really a long time until they also will face a huge amount of challenge because the industry is already around now for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. In the beginning, that was fine. There was a lot of cash available for companies like this. You know, we had a, a different investment uh, environment. There was, you know, cash was free. That changed completely now. Now investors, and we know how investors talk because we currently raise capital, right? Uh, the capital is much harder to get. It's much more expensive to get. So it's more focused on profitability and showing a path to profitability. So I think the advice I would give is they will need money. You can always go for state funds like Innovation Norway and there's EU money. Yeah. But at some point you will face real life investors that want to see how you scale this, how you get it to profitability. So thinking about that from the beginning, I think is a good idea. Very interesting point. Any, in, in your mind, is there any area where you see more opportunities? And some you probably mentioned already, areas where you see more risk in terms of going in, innovating, disrupting, as opposed to areas where you see a lot of opportunity? I think if you look at the value chain that we discussed from seeding, cultivation, mm -hmm. processing, to logistics and then applications, knowing that R&D in this industry takes a lot of time on the cultivation side, right? So if you want to develop a novel growing technology, that will take you a long time. And I'm not sure if there's enough time to develop something completely new now anymore, right? I strongly believe that some of the big players that are in the industry now which I count us uh, among, but I'm not saying that we are, will be the ones. Uh, we strongly believe, but uh, you know, belief is not knowing. <laughs> One of them will fix the problem that we face. So I would not go into the cultivation side of technology right now. Not trying to stop any competition for us, but you know, it, it takes a lot of time. And I think the industry in six, if you take another six years, the industry might be already in a different stage. It might be gone. It might be, you know, already far ahead. So I think where we see the, the biggest, you know, is in the connecting dots, like processing, for example, or uh, the seeding part. We struggle a lot to find high quality seed stock 
in the industry. It's one of the biggest issues that we face in Arctic Seaweed. That's why we had to reduce what we deploy in our deployment because we can't get a hand on good seed stock. That's why we now build up our own hatchery to take control of that problem. But technically, we don't want really that part, right? We want somebody else to be the expert in seed. We'll be very happy to have a partner looking after that. Very happy. And we have some some good partners, but we also had um, partners or, you know, it's a difficult thing. It's not that easy. So we understand it's working with nature. But obviously for us, the seed stock is, if you don't have seed stock, that's it for a year, right? If you can't deploy seeds because you have enough seed stock, even if you have not enough seed stock, you don't get the right density on the lines, which affects the yield and the productivity. So that goes down and then you lose an entire year. So we are heavily dependent on good seed stock. So getting that up, but it's another egg and chi- chicken egg problem. They say, okay, but show me that there's people buying seed stock and I give you seed stock, you know? So um, I think that is a good place to go in. Okay. Thanks for that. It's very interesting, particularly considering that there's such a need to maximize the volume and to increase the farming. Your advice is to actually go around it and, and connect the dots. I think it's a very interesting point. Well, I still encourage companies to go as uh, cultivators, Yeah, but then they should use our tech. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. I've got something else I want to cover and maybe a bit of a dead end. I looked at your uh, CV and, and I see that you've got quite a lot of experience in, in digital transformation across multiple companies. So... From the lessons learned in that area, you know, from your point of view, how should ocean entrepreneurs think about digital transformation? Is it something that they should even care about? And if so, why is it important? I think everybody should care about digital transformation because I think that's the, you know, it's not a buzzword. It's always almost already part, not gone with the buzzwords, but the, I think every industry will be digitalized to some degree. Um, I see the same for the seaweed industry. We, you know, one of the slides we showed today, we show data as a scale driver. Because um, if you know, if you can, you know, do data analysis on when is the right time to harvest, when is the exact time to seed, you know, uh, huge amounts of data, when is the nutrient content right, what is the temperature, so all those variables, there's a huge amount of efficiency we could raise from digital transformation in the seaweed industry. Problem is there's no money now for that. That's also why we said it's at a later stage, but there are companies already looking into that. Soft seaweed um, is one of them here in Norway that kind of wants to build data models to predict stuff like that. So um, I think, as I said, digital transformation is uh, is relevant for every industry, even the seaweed industry. Sure. Um, and, you know, in terms of what's in it for them, for ocean entrepreneurs and seaweed farmers, for example, and possibly an answer you've already maybe introduced is the, the increase in yield and, yeah. and the sort of total output. Yeah. So for us, we see data as, as I said, uh, more predictability, learning from failure. Again, it's about uh, the right seeding date. It's sometimes really the date or, you know, the week that you deploy that determines the success of the harvest. The right time to harvest is important because if they leave the seaweed out in the ocean for too long, it starts fouling. So the quality is bad. So then your buyer doesn't accept it anymore, right? We produce food grade, so there can't be any fouling. So if you harvest too early, you give away growth because you had two, three, four days and seaweed grows very fast in the summer. If you harvest four days too early, you lose that four days of growth, which is money mm-hmm. because it's less, it's less weight, right? So data can unlock predictability, but also yield and, and money or revenue potentials in that sense. Is yeah. the technology there to allow collecting this sort of data? And Because what I'm thinking is from the point of view of a seaweed cultivator, for example, you know, how do they adjust to this digital yeah. transformation type approach? And, and, you know, I, I suppose they would 
go out and look for the, look for this technology. Is it there? I mean, for, for this type of job, you need, first of all, sensors, right, that yeah. capture data. I think sensors is fine. Uh, they are maybe too expensive at this stage because we, you know, they normally use in other kind of industries. But, uh, you know, uh, there are companies, Kongsberg, for example, one of them in Norway that has huge amounts of sensors that we could use. They are just too expensive, right? We can't do that now. We have other problems to fix first. So the sensor part is, I think, good. The second part is then to kind of capture the data into one data lake, contextualize the data, make it useful for something. Uh, that's something where entrepreneurs can come in, you know, understanding the different parameters of data you can collect from wave height, energy, nutrient content, uh, salinity, water temperature, all of those, right? And map that out across your fields and have an app where you can see your nutrient content mm. in, in your farm or something like that. Or there's an alarm that says, you know, the wave is getting too high, so we need to strengthen the farm. I don't know, right? So there's that part. That is something I think that is not there. So there's scope for businesses and, and people to come in and yeah. improve on that. Yes, absolutely. I think we could go on for another hour. Let's <laughs> see if we got another quick one, because I wanted to, you mentioned earlier, particularly re referring to your the third group of customers yeah. and the offset schemes. From a business perspective, what are the options for seaweed entrepreneurs to integrate ecosystem services? I know you've got quite a lot of experience in this area. Yeah, I mean, um, ecosystem services is a very interesting field for uh, not only seaweed, but seaweed obviously too. I founded a company called Blue Seas with two of my friends three years ago that was meant to do exactly that, you know, quantify the ecosystem service of seaweed farms and then make them into a sellable kind of product to, for example, salmon farms. Yeah. But at that stage, um, we had a lot of enthusiasm and the seaweed industry was on this hype, you know, but we realized that the industry, the seaweed industry itself is not ready yet, right? The, we needed to get the volumes up because our business model in Blue Seas was based on a huge amounts of volume, right? So we needed a lot of volume. That's not there. Another thing that is not there is, from my perspective, the research uh, is not very clear yet. Is it actually a carbon sequestration? Is it positive? Is it negative? Is it neutral? What does happen if we feed it then again to cows or we eat it? Is it then back into the cycle? So there is no standard in the industry to show exactly. Everybody thinks that there is kind of a positive impact, and there probably is, but we but at Arctic Seaweed said... Uh, we actually don't want to talk too much about it because we don't know yet. And you can burn an industry very easily by making claims too early about this. Absolutely. Yeah. So we, we actually wait. We believe that ecosystem services will be part of a business model in Arctic Seaweed. It's not yet. We don't have any revenue in our business case about ecosystem services. So that comes on top when it comes. But for now, we stay clear of it. But we strongly believe that there will be at some point some form or shape of uh, offsets possible. Not only CO2, but also nitrogen, phosphate, you know, salmon companies emit a lot of nitrogen and phosphate into the ocean, which they don't really want to acknowledge as a problem yet, but uh, <laughs> there is one. Yeah. So that there is a future business there too, but we need the research first. So at this stage, you think it's not realistic to try and monetize some of the ecosystem services? Not I mean, yet. Every company out there has to decide what they want to sell as a product, but then they need to be uh, very clear on the what is it based on. I've seen some of the companies in the seaweed industry, and I don't want to mention names now, that sell some form of credit, and it's a borderline marketing because it's they call it credit, but it's actually a donation. So it's, it's you know it's the gray. It's a very gray zone area because I think we have burned a lot of offsetting schemes 
because you know it is not tangible enough it's not understandable enough and i think we should stay away from these early shots that can harm this kind of offsetting the true offsetting later we need something like a gold standard that can verify and put a stamp on it and say uh, this is actually sequestered carbon from a seaweed farm without contaminating the old idea exactly yeah yeah until that is not in place we stay away from it but it's also nice because then we can say to investors like at some point there might be another revenue stream yeah. but we don't want that yet fantastic uh, thanks for addressing that i know it's a bit of a controversial topic yeah. uh, but it's, it's good to talk about it we're gonna have to bring this to a close uh, and, and let you enjoy the rest of the conference. Would you like to share any, any final thought, any, any sort of message for the audience at all? I think, um, I mean, I come from a very different world, right? I, I started as a management consultant uh, doing a lot of PowerPoints and then I went to some car industry companies and ended up in Norway. But I think what is so interesting about this industry, and I think people should remember that, is that it kind of checks on a lot of points of a future industry in this kind of new narrative of you know climate change etc because we replace resource intensive products you know if we replace soy protein with seaweed protein soy protein has a much bigger footprint uh, in the environment we need more food to feed more people in 2050 that is clear we need to find a way to do that more sustainable we need to scale that it creates local jobs you know it's not creating jobs in oslo is creating jobs in the farming locations around the coast. And that's a huge problem in Norway and in other countries. It gives food security. It brings food production on a more local scale. You know, it's, so it lots all, of good reasons. Yeah, it's all these. And, and then, you, you know, it absorbs nitrogen and phosphate from the ocean. It recycles it. It sucks up CO2 probably, you know, at some point we can say that. So what we say, it's, it's a carbon resource favorable crop. And if you look at this, when I saw this the first time when I worked at Catapult Ocean, I was like, why the hell is this not a bigger thing? It has so many, it, so many mega trends are addressed, and addressed yeah. in this. And I think that is what we need to remember. This industry will face a problem. It will face death as every new industry. But when we then look at this and say, but look at these characteristics, we need to make this happen. Right. And that's also why the EU is behind this, right? The EU has this in their farm to fork strategy and they want make to make this happen. And maybe we need to have some, we discussed this yesterday too. Maybe we need to have some government schemes to get this off, right? Uh, this happened with other industries before, you know, other industries get subsidies. L land farming. Exactly. Specifically. So maybe that's what we need uh, because finally we have a product here that checks on so many mega trends and addresses so many mega trends. It's gotta so be done. I think that's what people should remember. It's uh it's Brilliant. the perfect storm for seaweed. Yeah. Where can people find you online? Uh, you are I'm very all shy on, uh, online. <laughs> I, I think the only social media I have is LinkedIn. So if anybody wants to connect, they should find me on LinkedIn. But uh, that's basically it. We have and, a website, yep. um, www.aseaweed.com. But I'm sure we can link that also. in. The yeah, we'll LinkedIn. put all of that in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, Matthias, this has been really great. I'm so grateful you were able to come in and have a chat with me today. Cool. A big thank you to you guys for joining us live today and yesterday. You made it feel very special. It was great to be here in Trondheim among all these fantastic players in the industry. It's been absolutely eye-opening for us. It's goodbye for now, but you will be able to listen to this again, or for those who missed it, uh, when it comes out as a, a normal episode of Inside Seaweed podcast in the following months. Do stay tuned for more content and live events as we get ready for Seaweed Culture Conference US. I will be in Portland, Maine, so we'll be looking forward to seeing you there. 
I think really is everything for now and uh, see you shortly. Thank you very much. Thank you.